Welcome to This Week in Brattleboro History, produced by the Brattleboro Historical Society and the Brattleboro Area Middle School. In the 1860s, Vermont had three U.S. representatives in Congress. Brattleboro was in the second congressional district, which was comprised of Wyndham, Windsor, Orange, and Caledonia counties. Two years into the Civil War, the Union Army was having trouble recruiting soldiers. In March 1863, the U.S. Congress passed an act for enrolling and calling out the National Forces. This is another way to say a draft system was established. Each congressional district was assigned a draft quota. The second district quota was 1,763 soldiers. In order to get the quota numbers, the federal government drafted over 2,600 men. Men could be drafted if they were between the ages of 20 and 45. According to an 1863 Vermont Phoenix article, the draft shall take place at the headquarters of the district in a public manner and under the directions of the Board of Enrollment. The names of the persons enrolled will be placed in a box to be provided for the purpose, and the district provost marshal, to be blindfolded while making the drawing, will draw one name at a time until the appointed number is secured. It is directed that a certificate be furnished by the Board of Enrollment to all those who are exempted by reason of physical disability, the payment of commutation money, or the procurement of satisfactory substitutes. In the second district, almost 1,000 men were granted physical disability exemptions. More than 700 men paid $300, which allowed them to be exempted from the draft, and about 260 draftees found substitutes to take their place in service to the country. One of the Brattleboro men who procured a substitute was Joseph Albert Taylor. Taylor was originally from Guilford and moved to Brattleboro while still a young man. He went into the horse and coach business and profited from the arrival of the train station. Taylor owned and operated the village coach company that transported thousands of people to and from the train depot. He also established a large trucking and teaming business. Eventually, in order to support his transportation business, he bought the island on the Connecticut River. He built large stables on the island to house the horses and oxen used in his business. At the time of the draft, J. Albert Taylor was 29 years old. He had been married for six years. Taylor had not volunteered for the war and was very busy running his coach business. In 1863, Taylor and his wife, Hattie, welcomed their first child, a son, into their lives. Taylor did not want to leave his business or his new family to go off to war. Instead, Taylor paid the government $300 to avoid the war. In order to make sure that he would not be drafted again, Taylor had to find a substitute to take his place. Depending on a number of factors, local and state governments officially promised substitutes a bounty, a signing bonus, between $100 and $1,000. Often, the individual who wanted to avoid the draft also unofficially kicked in some money. These official and unofficial practices caused competition between draftees for substitutes, so in late 1864, Vermont enacted a law which limited signing bonuses to $500. According to James Fuller in his 2001 book, Men of Color to Arms, there were certain advantages to this practice for the black recruit. Many times bounties and bonuses were refused to the black soldier, but as a substitute was actually serving for a white man, the chances that he would receive the same incentives as other whites for enlisting were much better. In these cases, substituting was the preferred way to serve. Alexander Darbins, a 20-year-old African-American who had escaped slavery in Virginia, signed to be Joseph Albert Taylor's substitute. 
Darbins was assigned to the 45th Colored Regiment of Massachusetts. The regiment was transported to Camp William Penn in Pennsylvania for training. While Darbins was in Pennsylvania, he met a young woman named Hester Anderson. In a whirlwind romance, while Darbins was still stationed at the camp, they were married. Three months later, the 45th Colored Regiment was sent to Virginia to engage with the enemy. In a battle at Newmarket Heights outside of Richmond, Virginia, Darbins was severely wounded by Confederate sharpshooters. Military records indicate Alexander Darbins died the next day from his wounds. He was 20 years old, newly married, and his wife was expecting their first child. Darbins was killed in the state where he had spent his life as an enslaved person. His wife delivered their child in June of the following year, and the boy was named Jeremiah Darbins. Hester and her son moved to Morrisville, New Jersey, and she took care of her child by washing clothes and cleaning houses. She applied for a widow's pension and was eventually rewarded the pension in the late 1860s. Meanwhile, J. Albert Taylor's businesses flourished. He was instrumental in establishing the Valley Fair and served as a general manager of the annual event for 24 years. In 1899, a few years after Hester Darbins remarried and stopped receiving her war widow's pension, Taylor retired from business. He sold his interests and moved into the Brooks house with his wife. They took an apartment in the fancy hotel and remained there until Taylor's death in 1914. Taylor's Civil War substitute, Alexander Darbins, was killed 50 years earlier in 1864. Our research indicates that 17 African Americans signed on as substitutes for Bradbury men who wanted to avoid military service. Seven of the substitute soldiers died as a result of serving in the Civil War. These deaths are not included in the totals placed on the Soldiers' Monument at the Bradbury Common in 1887. We'd like to thank all of you who shared your thoughts about our earlier article concerning the discrepancies found on the monument dedicated to the soldiers who served Brattleboro in the Great Rebellion of 1861 through 1865. Almost 100 comments were shared with us through the Brattleboro Historical Society Facebook page, emails, phone calls, and letters. The vast majority of the respondents recommended that an explanatory plaque be erected near the original monument and that the information on the plaque provide current research about all of those who served and gave their lives during the Civil War. Thanks also to BAM students Will and Caitlin for their help researching this article. If you are interested in local Civil War topics, VermontCivilWar.org is a wonderful source. Please join us next week for another story from our community's past.